The rest of us turn in our Bibles to Daniel chapter 2 and verse 27. Daniel chapter 2 and verse 27. And for those of us, I want to just remind us that we're going through the book of Daniel. We're trying to understand how to be faithful in a culture that is far from God. To be reminded that, that people do not trust God, do not follow God, and for as us who are called to live as kingdoms of another world, how do we remain faithful? And as we think about this and consider these things, uh, we're going to look in Scripture today and be reminded by Daniel that no matter what we put our trust in, if it's not God, if it's not his kingdom, we will fail. The temptation of this culture is to set up other kingdoms to follow. And so we have to guard our hearts as, king, as those citizens of another world. So I hope that we would, we would consider this today, and we will read in verse 27. I'm going to read down to verse 35, and then we'll skip to 44, and I'll tell you when we're doing this, so just follow along in your copy of God's Word. Daniel answered the king, no wise man, medium, diviner, priest, or astrologer is able to make known to the king the mystery he asked about. But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries, and he has let King Nebuchadnezzar know what will happen in the last days. Your dreams and visions that came into your mind as you lay in bed were these. Your majesty, while you were in bed, thoughts came to your mind about what will happen in the future. The revealer of mysteries has let you know what will happen. As for me... This mystery has been revealed to me, not because I have more wisdom than anyone living, but in order that the interpretation might be made known to the king and that you may understand the thoughts of your mind. My king, as you were watching, a colossal statue appeared. That statue, tall and dazzling, was standing in front of you as its appearance was terrifying. The head of the statue was pure gold and its chest and arms were silver. Its stomach and thighs were bronze, its legs were iron, its feet were partly iron and fi partly fired clay. As you were watching, a stone broke off without a hand touching it, struck the statue on its feet of iron and fired clay, and crushed them. Then the iron, the fired clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold were shattered and became like chaff from the summer threshing floors. The wind carried them away, and not a trace of them could be found. But the stone that struck the statue became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. In verse 44, in the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed, and this kingdom will not be left to another people. It will crush all these kingdoms and bring them to an end, but will itself endure forever. You saw a stone break off the mountain without a hand touching it, and it crushed the iron, bronze, fired clay, silver, and gold. The great God has told the king what will happen in the future. The dream is true, and its interpretation certain. Let us pray. God, we ask you today, and desire a fresh word from you. We know that your word is spirit and truth. And God, I pray this morning that you would reveal to us exactly what we long to hear and expect to hear from the God of the universe. That we hear a message that calls us to repentance and to deeper faith in you and in your son, Jesus. 
We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I remember as a kid loving to build sandcastles when I was at the beach. Sometimes I would build sculptures or things of cartoon characters that I liked on you know, cartoon shows, and I would mold it up and shape it up, and sometimes, you know, Mickey looked more like Goofy, but things, well, that's what I did, but I like to do those, and I remember building sandcastles and, and making them grandiose, and one time I remember spending all afternoon on a fort that was like the fort of all forts, man. It was, had turrets that were huge, it had a, a deep moat that I'd poured water, ocean water, I'd taken pails and put water in, in the moat. And it had a prison for the bad guys. And, and I'd gotten seashells to you know, warn any of those who would come dare enter this fort that it would crush them. And, and so I spent all afternoon. Well, you can imagine uh, that I was proud of that and how hurt I was the next morning that the thing that I spent all afternoon the day before building was gone, right? Because the tides had come in and knocked it down. Or somebody walking at night just decided to be mean and knock it over. I don't know. There's many ways that that could have been crushed, but I know and we know that it did not last. I mean, I'd spent all afternoon, all day, I'd even got sunburned because of that sucker. I was so proud of it. And it was kind of crushing for my young heart that day. You know, it kind of reminds me uh, when we realize that the thing that we have placed so valuable in our hearts, an idol or a kingdom that we have placed of such value is threatened to be taken away from us. You know, many great pastors and the Word tells us that our hearts are idol makers. I-D-O-L, not I-D-L-E. Idol makers. And especially living in this culture, there is a temptress song of people, hey, trust in this, uh, desire this. Uh, it could be something as electronics and, and, and putting your whole hope and faith in the next electronic or game or system or whatever that has come out to any other thing. I mean, I've seen people who so desire to be number one in their boss's eyes that they, they work tirelessly hours upon hours upon hours upon hours. And unfortunately, what they do is they end up neglecting their family neglecting being with brothers and sisters in Christ in the church. Uh, I see uh, students who get angry, who, who spend hours and weeks and months in preparing for a test, and they get angry because they get an A minus, because it might pull their GPA down like a tenth of a point. But they realize that they think that that GPA or that idea of a grade has become their identity. I see mothers get anxious and worried and angry because their child's party or their project or their gift that they have put hours and thoughts and, and things into doesn't come up to the expectations they have placed on it. And so uh, the whole family is in a tense situation because this has become the be-all, end-all. You see, 
when kingdoms and idols become the desire of our hearts, anxiety is what rules our hearts, not peace. And we need to be reminded that none of us are exempt from building kingdoms and idols that we follow. Even pastors. I mean, hang around a bunch of pastors at some point, and you'll see where people are always, oh, well, he's doing good, so I need, to, you know, I need to raise my story up on what we are doing. And there's this whole idea of we need to look good among other people. But all the while, while us as Christians build these kingdoms and idols that we rely on, we support, we protect, our quiet time with God becomes non-existent. Our evangelism and sharing the gospel is not even present. We don't spend time serving in the church or even attending church. That record is spotty at best. The question for us today is whose kingdom are we building? What inhabits your thoughts? What drives your anxieties and fears? The Bible teaches us that there's only one true kingdom that will last. God's kingdom. And every other kingdom that we try to build unto ourselves or to make us feel better will wipe away. And we're reminded by Daniel's interpretation of King Nebuchadnezzar's dream that all kingdoms come and go, but only God's will remain. So as we think about this, we need to consider how we are serving the one true king and that we guard our hearts from building wasteful kingdoms unto ourselves. And I believe that this passage shows us three ways to conquer kingdoms in our hearts. So let's look there. Number one, kingdoms will be blown away. Kingdoms, all kingdoms will be blown away. This is important for us to remember. All kingdoms will be blown away. Let me set you up on the action. So what happens is, is Nebuchadnezzar has this nightmare, really, a dream, a nightmare that he continually has repeatedly over and over and over and over again. And so he needs to know that he thinks it's important if he's having it more than once or twice or three times or every day. So he puts a challenge out there. He says, all diviners, all astrologers, all wise men, you need to do two things. Now, he raised the bar. He said, you need to both tell me the dream that I'm dreaming, and you need to interpret it for me. You go back and read the beginning of chapter 2. That's, that's what I'm summarizing right now. So they're saying, hey, look, not only do you need to interpret it, but I'm not even going to tell you what the dream is. So guess what? Nobody could do that. I mean, everybody was trying. They were, they were telling some dreams. And he was like, no, I do not dream about pink elephants. And that does not mean about anything else. You're, and he would basically cut their heads off. And so he got to a point. He's like, look, all of these guys cannot do this. I'm just going to kill them all, get rid of all of them, because they can't do it. Now, unfortunately, uh, Daniel and his friends were part of these wisdom sayers or these uh, people that, that the king would go to, diviners and so forth. And so Daniel and his friends were going to get killed. So he told that Daniel told the chief of the guard, said, hey, hey, hold off. Tell the king that I'm going to be able to, by God's power, I'm going to be able to interpret this king. And so Daniel prayed to God, asked him 
for wisdom. And God, in his goodness, revealed the dream and interpreted it to Daniel for him. Now, that's where we're caught up. Daniel goes before the king and shows him what the dream is. Now, this is what's great about this, is Daniel goes on eloquently for several verses to say, look, king, this is not because I'm super wise or I'm super good, but by God's grace, he's let me to do this. God is doing everything here. I'm not doing a thing. The reason why those wise guys that you've been asking around about, they can't answer you is because they don't know the one true God, and I do. And so that's what he does, and then he interprets the dream. So here's what the dream interpreted means. So he, he says, here's this dream. You see this huge statue, and the head of it is gold, and then the next part of it's silver, and then the next part of it's bronze, and then the bottom is both a mixture of silver and clay. And because of this, you see this stone come and knock the statue away, and you know that that means something bad for you. Right, king? Well, I'm here to tell you, you're very right in that. Because God, who is above everything and of all things, he establishes kings and kingdoms. And when he's done with them, he wipes them away to all the earth because these are all just foreshadows of a great, perfect, eternal kingdom to come. And so here's what we must know above all things, that Daniel and this dream is telling Nebuchadnezzar then thousands of years ago to us today that if we trust in any kingdom uh, but God's, we're trusting in a failing kingdom. Now, I, I did some research, and I looked at several different commentators and several different books, and you can find people that will elaborately dispel and say what this statue is and what the gold means and the silver means and the bronze and everything else. And some will say that the gold is, is King Babylonian Empire and the silver is um, the Media Empire and then the bronze is the Persian Empire and then the feet is the, 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 Greece, the Greece Empire. Or then some commentator will say, no, it's, the, it's, it's Babylon, then Media Persia, then it's Greece, and then it's Rome. Well, you can go to all those things, but here is the truth, and really what Daniel focused on himself. All of those kingdoms are going to fail, no matter what they are. And for us, we need to be reminded that every kingdom will fade away. He actually describes it, uh, God describes it, as that once the kingdoms fall, it will be like wasteful shaft on the thrashing room floor in the summer, and it will filter away, and it will never be. You see, the interpretation of this is the very purpose for Nebuchadnezzar's kingdom and for us, that we are reminded that any kingdom or idol we build to ourselves will be destroyed. And how amazing that these verses uh, shadow what is in Psalm chapter 1, verse 4 through 6, where the psalmist David writes, The wicked are not like this. Instead, they are like shaft that the wind blows away. Therefore, the wicked will not survive the judgment, and the sinners will not be in community of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to ruin. So what God is saying to Nebuchadnezzar and to all of us, if you build your greatness, if you build on anything other than me, anxiety and pain will haunt your dreams. Anxiety and fear will be the name of your life and not peace. 
If you build your life on popularity, your emotions are going to be like the roller coasters of the poles. You're going to watch the poles or judge people's feelings about you and their looks about you and their expressions and what they say. How do people feel about me? And your popularity is going to go up and down based upon how you feel that goes. If you build your life on money, you'll be scared by what's happening in the market. If you build your life on looks, you'll be scared to look in the mirror. But whatever you build your life on, he says, they are feet of clay and they're fragile because it's not me. I have a friend who put all of her money and time and desires into the way that she looked. She spent thousands of dollars in uh, buying this organic stuff and having it properly made and then she hired a private instructor for her exercise and then she she I mean she bought the finest clothes and after a while she she then was not satisfied with that so she started to do plastic surgery and enhancements and that wasn't enough and and she just kept on and kept on now I'm not telling you not to eat healthy and I'm not telling you to exercise but what happened to my friend was it ruled everything in her life after work, she didn't go home and spend any time with her, her family. She spent it working out and, and, and revolved around her looks. Her money never went to go to support anything of an eternal kingdom or value because she was using all of her money to support what she looked like and how she dressed and how other people perceived her. And here's what's even the most sad part about this story. Cancer ravished her life. And that very body in which she spent so much time, energy, and effort in, wasted away. Brothers and sisters, the kingdom that we build will not last. Whether it's money or fame or family, any, everything is vanity. The scriptures say, vanity, vanity, everything is vanity. And that's why we're more anxious and more angry when we find out that those kingdoms are trying to be stripped away from us. Today, what is the idol or kingdom that you have placed as a priority in your life? What has your stomach tied up in knots? Kill that idol. Smash it. Wipe that kingdom away like the waves on the sea on a sandcastle. Put it away because it will not last. And once you've recognized that idol, you need to kill it. So how do you kill it? Well, here's the good news. Number two, God has given us a rock. God has given us a rock. If you notice there in the scripture, two times God points out or scriptures point out or Daniel points out that there was a rock that tore down the clay. This helps us to see that it is Christ alone who defeats all earthly kingdoms. How do we know this is Christ? Well, three things. First of all, the rock is not cut by human hands. Twice it says nobody touched the rock. Nobody chipped away the rock. This is a reminder to us that this is not a product of human ingenuity, not a product of human thinking, but a supernatural revelation, a supernatural reaction. And so we know that this kingdom is destroyed by the true rock, Jesus Christ. But secondly, we know that this rock is the least valuable substance in the dream. Look at every other element listed, gold, silver, uh, iron, bronze, 
even fired clay, you probably have some fired clay vase that you say that you spent a lot of money on and is valuable to us. And if I were to go out and say, here, look, I found this rock in the woods. Would you trade me for that vase? You would say no, because it is worthless. But that's how the world sees Jesus. The world saw him as some kid that was born in a barn. You see Jesus as someone who was a country bumpkin who lived up in the north of the, of the kingdom and who, had, who did not mean anything, that just walked around with fishermen and, and sinners and had nothing to do, and he was put to death. But again, friends, that is what the world says about Jesus. We know something different about Jesus, that Jesus is fully God and fully man, that he came and he died on the cross so that all the sin of all mankind, all the sin that we did do and all the sin that we will do was wiped away under his blood, that death couldn't defeat him, that he raised up out of the grave three days later and God has planted him as King of kings and Lord of lords and there is no one above him and there is no one who can deny him. This king is the one true king the lasting king and his kingdom will always endure and when the world has been darkened to this truth thanks be to God that the light has come to us that we know this true king this rock is more valuable than this whole earth put together and he wiped everything out because of his goodness Jesus says his very self in Luke chapter 20. He was telling of this parable of the master owner and how he had put these people in charge of his field. And he said, take good care of it until I send somebody on my behalf. And he sends his son. And then look what happens in verse chapter, uh, chapter 20, verse 15. He says, so they threw him, this son, out of the vineyard and killed him. Therefore, what will the other vineyard do to them? Well, he will come destroy these farmers and give the vineyard to others. But when, they heard, when he, they heard this, they said, no, never. But he looked at them and said, then what is the meaning of the scripture? The stone that the builders rejected have become the cornerstone. And everyone who falls on that stone will be broken to pieces. And if it falls on anyone, it will grind them to powder. Brothers and sisters, we need to kill our kingdom with the rock of Jesus. Because this rock came and destroyed all things. And it, we noticed that the third thing about this rock, that the rock started and then continued to grow into a mountain. And thanks be to God that we're part of his church, a part of his now kingdom that is going across all the world, that, is, that has been given the opportunity to speak into a lost world and a lost culture and point them back to Jesus, the enduring king that can save them from this, their sins. It is Christ church that we are reminded of so how does this help you defeat these idols and kingdoms that you cling to look to jesus when you put jesus next to anything else our hearts desire we see how how short-sighted and how worthless those idols are compared to the one true king jesus you ask him to forgive you of your unfaithfulness that you ask him to help you make him a priority, that you spread his word, pray and worship him and serve others. And if you are constantly putting him first and you're constantly serving others, you don't have time for idols because the true king is building a kingdom in your heart and using you to build it in the world. 
And once you get the rock to crush your kingdom, then number three, you serve the lasting kingdom. Verse 44, then King Nebuchadnezzar, oh, excuse me, I jumped down. In the days of those kings, the king of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed. And this kingdom will not be left to another people. It will crush all these kingdoms and bring them to an end, but will itself endure forever. You saw a stone break off from the mountain without a hand touching it, and it crushed the iron, bronze, fired clay, silver, and gold. The great God has told the king what will happen in the future. And this, king is, this dream is true and its interpretation certain. We see a final picture of this kingdom in the future. And how do we know that we need to trust the lasting kingdom? Because it is a kingdom that endures. Every other kingdom, your fame, your fortune, your looks, your value, everything that you try to build a kingdom on will fade away, but the king's kingdom will live forever. It is both an already and not yet kingdom that we are living here in the already. Our, we have been giving marching orders as a people that we are to live here, serve here, love here, point people to Jesus. But we also know of the great victory that is to come, one where there is no more pain, there is no more suffering, there is no sin, there is no destruction. All those go away and we look forward to that day. But as we live in this world, we need to be cautious that we don't err in two ways. That one, that we have set our eyes so much on the kingdom to come that we are worthless in this world. You see, some of us are so longing for kingdom and for Christ, we have forgotten that God has called us to love others and serve others and tell others about him. And on the flip side, Many of us are so worried about this kingdom and this time that we forget the one that's about to come. We're so busy polishing our statues and making sure that we look so good that we forget the kingdom that is sure to come. The world is not our home. It is a lodging point along the way. And we need to focus on the kingdom that is to come and live with kingdom priorities here. So how do we serve this kingdom now? Jesus said, Matthew 6, 33 through 34, but seek first his kingdom, the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be provided to you. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, because tomorrow will worry about itself. Friends, we need to love God we need to love others, and we need to point people to Jesus. What priorities that you need to change to put the kingdom first? A university professor was teaching his class the first day of class, and he wanted to give them instruction in how to live and how, how he might, they might find success in the semester to come. So he had a big glass cylinder, and he put it on the table, and then he put 12 fist-sized rocks into the glass cylinder. And so they, he did that. He just put them all in there, and he said, class, I've put 12 rocks here in this cylinder. Is this cylinder full? Somebody said, yeah, you can't put anything more in there. He said, oh, really? 
So he pulls out a bag of gravel. He starts to dump the gravel into the cylinder and shake it down in there to fill out all the empty air pockets that has happened down in that cylinder. And he said, okay, class, now is this cylinder full? Yeah, it looks full. We can't see anything. Okay, so he pulls up a bag of sand. And he puts that in the cylinder and he just kind of works it around to where there's a mixture of gravel, big rocks, and sand. And he keeps working at it and, and gets it all full with sand. And he said, okay, is the cylinder full now? They're pretty smart. You know, they're bright college students. They, they finally caught on, so they said, yeah, yeah. No, it's not. It's not full. We, we've caught it now, teach. We, we got it. So that he's like, you're, you're right. So he poured water, got a jug of water, and poured water down in there and let it settle in all the other places that could see. So he said, okay, I want you to have a great semester. So what is the lesson that we learned here today? Well, you know, smarty pants up front always is the first one to put his hand up. And so he says, I know, I know, I know what it is. No matter how full your schedule is, you can put more in. I know, that's... Uh, that's not the lesson. That's not the lesson. Someone on the back said, um, the water came last. So we were reminded of how busy you get. You need to drink your six cups of water a day. You need to make sure you, no, no, that's, that's not it. He said, look, here's the point. The big rocks should come first because you'll never get everything in unless you get your priorities right. Brothers and sisters, we need to be reminded of the kingdom priority we have in our life. Do we set him first? Do we set time with him as a priority? Do we place our church and our family as priorities in our life? Because if we do, the scriptures tell us all these things will be added to us. Brothers and sisters, what is the priority of your life? Today, maybe you, maybe you need to know Jesus. And the Bible tells us that Jesus is the rock. That Jesus is what is sure. And if you don't have that rock, friends, nothing else will ever fit. And you won't live. I hope today you know Jesus. But for the rest of us, what kingdom are we building? And is it Jesus's? Let's pray. God, we ask you this morning as we have come to your word that we are reminded of how good your son is. God, I pray that if someone here does not know you and know your son Jesus and know faith. We pray today that they would become people who are alive, that Lord, you would touch them and their life would be made new and their bones would now be alive, not dead in their sin and their trespasses. I pray that you would bring them to saving knowledge and faith in you. And God, I pray for all of us to seek the right priorities, the priorities of the kingdom, the priorities of truth, the priorities of the son, so that our world would not be mangled by anxiety and fear, but we would be peace in the one true king and his kingdom. We ask this in Jesus' name.